Good morning. If you would, grab a Bible and turn to Matthew, the sixth chapter. We're going to read a passage from Matthew, the sixth chapter. And we are going to discuss a few thoughts around the idea of motives, specifically motives in the kingdom. We're going to read a passage from Matthew, the sixth chapter. Matthew 6, verses 1 through 18 will be our our text for the morning. Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that that they might have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard of their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly." If you were here a month or two ago, uh, whatever it was the last time I think I spoke on a Sunday morning, you may remember that we talked about the righteousness of the Pharisees, which is what Jesus was talking about there in the second half of the previous chapter in Matthew 5. And we talked about how Jesus drew a distinction between the type of righteousness that was on display by the religious leaders of the day and the type of righteousness that would be required of the citizens of the kingdom, and how the righteousness demanded of his disciples would exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. As we move into chapter 6, Jesus builds upon this thought, but shifts the focus towards something that's very important and strikes to the core of the righteousness that God requires. Jesus begins to talk about not just about what we do, but why we do it. He begins to talk about not just 
about things that we practice, but the reasons that we practice them. He begins to talk about our motives. And as he does this, Jesus gives examples of three different, what he calls, acts of righteousness. First, Jesus talks about a man who appears, at least in his own mind, as someone who is very giving and very charitable. This guy decides that he's going to give some money to the needy and to the poor. And, and, and what's wrong with that? That's a good thing, right? To give money to, the, to those that need it. But this guy wants to make sure that everybody in town knows just how generous and just how charitable he is. So he goes and he hires a band to come and play and let everybody know what's going on. This man isn't so much interested in helping the poor as he is making sure everybody knows that he has helped the poor. He isn't making a sacrifice in service to God, so much as he's making a purchase of praise and recognition. And what about us? We don't hire bands to play when we sacrifice and we give. But do we sound the trumpets in other ways? You see companies today, they make some donation to a charitable organization or they set up some foundation to support some cause and every company in America will have a press conference or a press release telling everybody about their charitable donations or their charitable organizations. But what about us? We don't hold press conferences, but do we do it in some other way? Maybe we let a comment slip about how much we're putting in the collection plate now. Or maybe we preach a sermon about how everyone should be giving as much as we do. Or maybe it's not even about money. Maybe we talk about how much time we're sacrificing to help this person or that person. Or maybe we make sure that everybody knows how often we're out helping someone do this or do that. And we do not so much to give recognition to God but more to let other folks know how much we are sacrificing and how much we are giving up in our service to the Lord. Next, Jesus talks about a guy who's always willing, he's always ready, he's always able to, to give a public prayer. This guy loves to stand up in public and he gives the most eloquent and sometimes the most long winded prayers you have ever heard. The kind of guy that uses all those $5 words and fancy phrases and and says all the right things to make people sit back and say, you know what, that guy knows what he is doing. That guy, he must must really know everything about, about God. We need to make sure that that's the guy that gets the, the microphone when it's time to, to have the visitors here. But this guy, he even takes it a step further. He doesn't even need to wait for someone to ask him to lead a prayer. He'll even go out onto the street corners and he'll lead prayers and, and, and so that everybody will see and everybody will know how awesome this guy is at leading his prayers. And this guy drinks up the praise. He loves that people look at him. He loves that people think that he is the most eloquent guy in the room. And what about us? 
where we have opportunities to, to lead prayers. Are we leading those prayers to communicate with God? Or are we leading those prayers so that everyone around us will think, Man, that guy, he, he sure does have a way with words. And maybe it isn't with a public prayer. Maybe it's those of us that are involved in, in preaching and teaching and getting up here. Maybe it's those of us that are involved in, the, in edifying the congregation. And we get up here and we deliver sermons not with the purpose of teaching or edifying the congregation. No, the reason that we get up here is so that at the end of the service, when we go back to the back of the building, everybody can pat us on the back and tell us how good a sermon we gave. We preach not to proclaim the righteousness of God, but rather so that everyone here will look at us as righteous. And then Jesus talks about a third guy in the passage that we read this morning who's fasting. But what he does when he fasts isn't pleasing to God. He makes sure that everyone can see the miserable look on his face, that, that, he's, that he looks like he's been fasting, that he looks like he's hungry, so that everyone will look at him and, and see how righteous he must be. And again, how about us? When we're practicing, uh, when we're fasting, or when we're doing some other area of self-denial or self-discipline in our lives, do we make sure that everyone else knows how much self-control and how much self-discipline we have. How that we didn't do this or we didn't do that, how we're abstaining from this or we're abstaining from that, just so they, they know how righteous we are. And we do it so that we can make sure others know how godly we must be. Jesus talks about three different acts, giving, praying, and fasting, three different principles sacrifice, self-discipline, and self-denial. And he talks about how all three of those things can be done for the wrong reasons if our motives aren't pure, if our motives aren't godly. Instead, Jesus says, when we give, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. When you pray, go into your closet. When you fast, wash your face and act normal. Do these things for the right reasons, for the right motives. So I will ask you, why do you do the things that you do? What are your motives? When we examine our own lives and think about the reasons that we do the things that we do, what are our motives? You came to church this morning. You got up, you got ready, you, you got kids dressed, you drove down here to 2724 La Prada Drive. We sang these songs, we bowed our heads and said these prayers, you put money in the collection plate, you took part in the communion. Why did you do that this morning? Tomorrow morning or next week, that alarm clock is going to go off and you're going to roll out of bed and you're going to get ready for school, you're going to get ready for work. You're going to sit through traffic, you're going to study for your exams, you're going to work hard hour after hour, day after day, and, and, and why will you do that? Sometime soon you might get asked to be involved with something here in this congregation. 
Maybe it's leading a, a prayer, or leading singing, or, or getting up here and teaching or preaching. Maybe it's helping someone out, doing something for someone else, helping them in a time of need. Or maybe you're asked to take on a, a, a role in this congregation, the leadership. Why will you do that? What is your motivation for doing that? Jesus, in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, reiterates the importance of motives in the life of his disciples. He demands that not only do they do the right things, but they're doing them for the right reasons. Motives are important. So this morning I want for us to notice four things as we consider this passage that we read this morning. The first thing that I want for us to talk about and that we need to be sure that we understand is actually something that Jesus is is not teaching against. I, I think that there's... Sometimes a misconception or, or misapplication of the principles that, that Jesus is, is elaborating on here in this, this section. Some people may read the first half of Matthew 6 and 1 and say, See, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. And they take that phrase and say, Well, I guess that means that I need to be sure that, that I never do anything that anybody else is ever going to know about or anybody's going to see. I'm, I'm not going to put money in the collection plate as it's, as it's passed in front of me when it, when it comes because somebody might see me put money in the collection plate. I'm not going to lead a public prayer because I don't want people to see me lead a public prayer. I would certainly never do anything that anybody's ever going to see or find out because I don't want anybody to, to see those sorts of things, right? Or we see someone perhaps doing something, and, and, and we might point our fingers at someone and say, look, there, see that guy, he's doing this, he's, he went and helped this person. You know, the only reason he's doing that is because he wants everybody else to see him doing that, or her old sister so-and-so, the only reason she's doing that is because she wants everybody else to see that she's doing this or doing that. And we take that attitude sometimes, I think. It's important to take this passage in this teaching that Jesus is talking about in context, and continue, to be, and continue to read the second half of that verse, when Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Jesus is not prohibiting that we ever do anything that somebody else might be, that some, might be seen by someone else or seen by other people. Rather, he is prohibiting and teaching against doing those things with the motive or for the reason of being seen by other people. He isn't condemning acts of righteousness. Instead, he is condemning doing those things so that other people will see us doing them. This section is actually an elaboration or it's a continuation of a thought that he had introduced earlier in the Sermon on the Mount when he talks about how we as his disciples are a light, of, a light in the world in a city that, that's set on a hill cannot be hidden and all those sorts of things. He says you don't light a candle and put it under a bushel. If you notice closely though, Matthew 5 and verse 16 where he talks about that is sort of the, the opposite or it's the, the antithesis of what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew 6. Both passages are talking about doing works that are going to be seen by others. The difference, though, is that the motives, the reasons why those people are doing them. In Matthew 6, he's talking about the guy that's giving or praying or fasting so that other people will see him giving and praying and fasting. 
In Matthew 5, Jesus is talking about letting our light shine before men so that they will see your works and not glorify us, not glorify ourselves, but rather so that they will glorify God. The difference between the two isn't necessarily the action, it's the motives behind the action. So we shouldn't shy away from these acts of righteousness, as Jesus calls them, giving and sacrificing and fasting and praying. We shouldn't be upset necessarily when other people find out about it. And we certainly should be very careful about judging someone else in their heart when they are doing these acts of righteousness. We need to be sure that our motives are pure and behind those things that we're doing so that God will be glorified and not ourselves. And that leads us to the second thing that I want for us to notice. If motives are so important, and we're supposed to to look unto Jesus and follow his example, it would do good for us to look to Jesus and notice his motives and his motivation and why he did the things that he did. Over and over again in the scriptures, we see example after example of what the motives of Jesus were. When John introduces Jesus in John, the first chapter, he gives this great overview of the life and the mission of Jesus. And then he says in John, the first chapter, verses 11 and 12, he says, He came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. The Son of God came to this world knowing what was in store for him. He knew that one day he would be despised and rejected. He would be rejected by the very people that he would come to save. His own would not receive him, John said, that we just read, and they would nail him to a cross. Now, if his motives were that he wanted notoriety and popularity, then he would have never came. In John, the fourth chapter, we find the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. And after he has this conversation with that woman, one of his disciples comes to him and tells him it's time for dinner. He, he tells Jesus it's time to eat. We need, a, we, need a time, we need to go get some food. And Jesus tells him that his meat, his food, what sustained him, his motives, his motivation for doing things was to do the will of the Father that sent him. A couple of chapters later in John, in John the 6th chapter, we find the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And after the, the, the people see this miracle that he performed, John 6 and verse 15 says that the people came and they wanted to make Jesus a king. Jesus had the opportunity right there to hold some sort of political office in the area. And if his motives were for fame or for power or to be seen of men, this was his chance. But instead, he slips off into the mountains by himself. Over and over again, we see the example of Jesus in that his motives were not to serve himself. Rather, his reason for being, his reason for doing what he did was to glorify the Father and to do the Father's will. And we would do well to follow that example. And really, that leads into the third thing that I want for us to notice or to consider, and that is the question, who do we seek approval from? Who do we seek approval from? 
Who are we trying to please? Who are we trying to get recognition from? The Pharisees looked for approval from man. They hired trumpets to play when they gave so that everyone would see how generous, how charitable they were. They stood on the street corner so that everybody could see how eloquent and righteous they were. They made certain that everybody knew that they were fasting. They wore special clothes so that everybody could identify them as the religious leaders. They did all of these things so that man would look at them and they would, they would see these guys and they would think, goodness, look at those guys. Look how righteous they must be. Look how much they're giving. Look how much they're doing. Look how righteous they are. And even beyond that, they yearned for political power. They yearned for wealth and influence. They were more concerned with fame and power and recognition of man. Contrast that with what we just talked about with Jesus. Over and over again, we see how He didn't just seek approval of man. He didn't seek power. He didn't seek wealth. He was more concerned instead with pleasing God. The Pharisees sought approval from man. Jesus sought approval from His heavenly Father. We really don't need to look any further than this passage in Matthew 6 to see who Jesus viewed as most important. If you read back through those 18 verses that we opened up with this morning, Jesus used the word Father ten times in that passage. His focus, His motive was God-focused. The Pharisees' focus was on themselves and seeking approval of man. And really, I think that ultimately it boils down to who we think is in charge of our life and how we view God. That will determine who we are seeking approval and who we are seeking recognition from. And we might say the right thing, and we might even tell ourselves that God is in charge of our lives. But when it comes down to it, what do our lives say about who is in charge and who we are seeking approval from? Later on, if you look in the Sermon on the Mountain in Matthew, the 17th chapter, starting in verse 15, Matthew 7, starting in verse 15, it says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes or thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits... Ye shall know them. We might tell others that we're godly and that we're righteous. We might convince ourselves that that we're following God. We might convince ourselves that we're doing pretty good and that we're doing what God wants us to do with our lives. But what does the fruit that your life is bearing say about you? Does the fruit of your life say that God is the most important? Or does it say that you are the most important? 
If you're the most important thing in your life, then you're going to be looking to please yourself. You'll be looking for ways to glorify yourself. And maybe that means you're going to do things that that other people are going to be able to see down the road. People are going to be, you're going to do things so that other people can make sure that you're getting praise and you, you want to soak up that praise. Maybe it's, you're going to go and you're going to gossip about other people and you're going to try to tear people down and talk about them. Maybe it's looking down your nose at somebody, tearing them down to try to build yourself up. Maybe that means that you decide, you know what, I know what God says, I know what the Word of God says, I know what I'm supposed to do in my life, I know what God wants me to do, but you know what, I don't care. I'm going to do what God wants me to do, I'm going to be me, I'm going to do me, and I'm going to live my life my way. And you put yourself on the throne of your life. But if God is the most important thing in your life, then you're going to be looking to please Him. You will look for ways to glorify Him. That means that what you're doing, letting your light shine before men, will be so that others can see how righteous God is. You'll be building others up and humbling yourself. That means that you'll decide, you know what, I don't care what I think or what I want or what makes me feel good. I know what God says, so I'm going to do that. And you put God on the throne of your life. And that really boils down to the fourth and final thing that I want for us to consider this morning. And it's really at the core of what Jesus is talking about in this section, uh, and all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, and that is that motives begin in the heart. The Pharisee looked to establish a righteousness that was skin deep. Righteousness that could be defined by performing these outward acts of righteousness. Christ came to establish a righteousness that was deeper than that, though. A righteousness that didn't stop at the outer man, but went all the way to the thoughts and the intents of the heart. A heart that was filled in love. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about how if your heart isn't right, what we do on the outside doesn't really help us, doesn't profit us in our service to God. We could speak in tongues, we could prophesy, we can understand all mysteries and have all knowledge. We could give our bodies to be burned, Paul talks about, but without love, we're nothing. We could be living a life maintaining a shell of righteousness And we would be living a life that might teach all the right doctrines, that goes through the motions of serving God, that comes to church two, three times a week. We might even do it so well that people would look at our lives and think, man, that that guy has got it all figured out. But really, we would be like Matthew like, is, like Jesus talks about in Matthew, the 23rd chapter, in the 27th verse, we would be whitewashed tombs. Beautiful and well-adorned on the outside, but on the inside, in our hearts, we're full of dead man's bones. 
If you looked at that verse, Matthew 23 and verse 27, Jesus uses the word hypocrites. And if you look back at this passage that we read to open this, uh, this discussion here this morning, Jesus uses that same word each time to describe these three men, these three acts of righteousness that they were doing. He calls each of them hypocrites. And that word hypocrite is an interesting description. And we might think that we know what it means, but we might not understand all the implications of what this word hypocrite means. It comes from the Greek word hypocrites. And really that, that provides some, some good insight into what Jesus is describing. It's a word that described an ancient, uh, an actor in the ancient theater. But it wasn't just any actor in the play. It was a specific actor in the play. <clears throat> in ancient Greek theater, you know, you go to an opera or go to a musical today, there, there would be something called a chorus. And the chorus provides commentary on the actions of the play. And, and the, the hypocrite, or the hypocrites, however you pronounce that, was the one who answered the chorus. The chorus would sing and the, and the hypocrite would respond and answer to the chorus. And that's exactly what the Pharisees had begun to do. Their religious activities were no longer answering to God. Rather, their eyes and their hearts were fixed on the chorus of men's opinion of them. Their religion was theatrical rather than spiritual and genuine. Also, in ancient plays, the actors didn't wear makeup like they do today. They would wear masks. They would put a mask on and, and, and assume their role in the play. On the outside, they would look like one person, but underneath the mask, they were somebody completely different. The Pharisee wore the mask of religion and righteousness. They would put on this mask of sacrifice, this mask of self-denial and self-discipline, and they made sure that everyone saw what they looked like. But on the inside, their hearts were far from God. And what about us today? As an individual, are we playing the part of a Christian? Are we putting on the mask of Christ? We come to church here a couple of times a week. We say our prayers and, and we might fast and things like that. We might even get involved in some of the things that are going on here we put on that mask, but we do it so that people will look at us and say, man, he sure is a good Christian. He sure does look the part. And what about us as a church? Are we playing the part of a church of Christ? Are we putting on the facade, the mask of a congregation that's fulfilling our duty in the kingdom? We assemble a couple of times a week. We teach the right doctrines. We say that we love one another and we work together and promote the gospel. We do those sorts of things. Are we doing those things so that the community will look at us and say how righteous we are? Or are we doing them so that we can glorify God? I think that we are. I pray that we are. I'm, I'm positive that we are. And I pray that we continue to do that that we love one another, that we love God, and we do it so that we can glorify God and show the power of God in our lives. Amen. I pray that we do what we do, not for the approval of man, but for the approval of God. 
that we follow the steps of Jesus and that the purpose of our lives, our motives, is to serve the will of God and that we lay down our lives in his service. I want for us to read one more passage and then we'll close this morning. Turn to Philippians, the second chapter. Philippians, the second chapter, verses 5 through 11. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. May we follow the example of Jesus and take on the, the mind of a servant, that we look to serve one another and we look to serve God so that God will be glorified. Perhaps you've been struggling with your motives in your life. Your heart isn't right with God and you'd like the prayers of the church. We'd be happy to pray with you. Perhaps you've never decided to bow yourself and submit to God in baptism. Perhaps you've never entered into his kingdom and become a disciple of Christ. We'd be happy to do that with you this morning also. If there's anything we can do for you, please come as we stand and as we sing.